0: Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 26, Isaiah 26, if you're new to the Bible, that's great, we love having you. Uh, It's about in the middle of the Bible and go a bit to the right, you'll probably find the book of Isaiah. Now a few years ago, uh, I had the opportunity to do a heritage trip with my dad that we had always talked about. Uh, My dad sold his business and retired, and we'd always had this dream. Our last name is Alcantar, and so there's this little tiny village in Spain called Alcantara, right? Right on the border with, with Portugal. So we decided... This is finally the time we're going to do it. We're going to pre. We're going to go all the way to Spain. We're going to go to our village, and so we got to see uh, the Spanish countryside. And one of the one of the things that was striking uh, about Spain versus living, you know, in the United States is everybody in Spain would clump together. There'd they'd be these large open plains, and you think there's tons of room, but people are just root- all clumped together, uh, usually behind some kind of old city walls. And so we we visited the city of. Uh, I, if I'm remembering right, uh, Toledo, and, and one of the things is you're driving through Spain and it's just all these plains and then out the distance you can see a city, a city kind of standing up on a hill and, and we did a tour of the city and the, the, the tour guide explained to us that actually the oldest part of the city, because I was curious, what's the oldest part of the city? I want to see that. And they said, oh, well, the actual oldest part of the city is the walls. And they explained that the city was built during a time of, of conflict with the kind of the Muslim invasion of uh, the Iberian Peninsula. And, and therefore, all the cities built these strong walls that they could hide behind. And you wouldn't want to live out in the plains on your own, you'd want to live inside the strong walls of the city. Now, this morning, I want that picture in your minds, the picture of maybe driving over the plains and in the distance seeing a city with strong walls around it. we're going to read just a bit of the beginning of Isaiah 26, and then we're going to walk through some of the uh, ensuing verses together. So Isaiah 26, beginning in verse 1, this is God's word. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock, for He has humbled the inhabitants of the height, the lofty city. He lays it low, He lays it low to the ground, casts it to the dust, the foot tramples it, the feet of the poor, the steps of the needy. This is God's Word. Father, I pray You'd bless the preaching of Your Word today. Amen. Well, the, the, the passage begins with this reference in uh, verse 1, in that day. And that day refers to uh, Isaiah 25, the day of salvation, the day of the Lord. So in other words, this is these first few verses are spoken, as it were, by the future people of God back to the present people of God. Uh, the, the people of God were about to go into exile, according to the prophecies of Isaiah, which is true. And so the, the future people of God in the city of God are, um, are speaking, as you, if you can imagine this, back to the current people of God. It's almost like if you could have a future version of yourself come and give you advice on your present. That's what this is. Now, we're going to walk through the passage. This passage has an interesting structure to it. It, it first talks about where to find uh, where, where we can dwell securely. Then the second section is, well, how can we dwell there securely? And then it goes back to, where can we dwell securely? And then it goes to, well, why should you want to dwell there? And then it ends with, where can we dwell, all right? So it's got this rhythm to it. So first, where can we dwell securely? Well, where is this strong city? Now, all of us as human beings long for a place of security. We long to dwell securely, and we look for that in all kinds of places. Some of us may look for it in a feeling, like, I, I feel secure. I, I, I feel like this makes me secure. Or maybe you're looking for it in an outcome. If this happens, if I get this job, then I'll dwell securely. Or maybe an ignorance is where you dwell securely. You just are like, I, I try not to think about things that are, make me anxious. I just try not to think about them, then I'm, I'm not anxious, right? Or maybe you look for dwelling securely in an organization, meaning they will keep me secure. This company will keep me secure. This health plan will keep me secure, whatever it is. Or maybe you look for it in a person. You think, well, if if I'm able to date this person or marry this person, then I'll be secure. Then I'll have security. But... That's not exactly what is in view here. The, 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 the original language here is not saying, well, we have a strong city, and therefore you, you, know, you, you, can, you should find your own strong city. Whatever makes you feel strong is a strong. No, no, it's objective. This is a strong city that's found in God. Now, the language is interesting. The original language isn't saying that the city happens to be strong. Because those examples I just mentioned, they have times that they're strong and times that they're not. Maybe times your company is strong, times you're not. Times your health plan is strong, times it's not. This is different. The, the, this is, in the original language, a city of strength. Meaning the strength is intrinsic to the city. The city, by definition, is always strong. How, how is that possible? Because, verse 1, he sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. It is a city of unflagging strength because He, the Lord, has set it up. It is the Lord's city. Commentator Matthias says this the people do not create it, it is there awaiting their occupation. Meaning the people aren't constructing this city. They're saying this city was built by God and is strong because of God. The walls of this city are not something that can change or be taken away. The the walls of the city are God's, you can see verse 1, his salvation, meaning his character, his saving character, and his saving acts are the walls in which we can dwell securely. Now, right as the pandemic rolled in last year, We had a major health challenge with one of my kids. Uh, Early in 2020, um, he began having kidney issues. Uh, Essentially, he got strep. uh, We didn't know it. uh, Went untreated and attacked his kidneys and began to exhibit significant symptoms. And the week the pandemic rolled in, we went into the doctor's office and the doctor told us, um, this isn't good. Uh, He does not appear to be healing and he may have... Uh, degenerative kidney disease. And so we need to biopsy his kidney and send it to a, a special lab and they're going to give us some answers. And so two weeks into the pandemic, everything's locking down. They're about to stop elective surgeries. We go into the hospital. It looks like it looks like something out of a movie. There are guards, armed guards outside the hospital. Everybody's wearing full hazmat costume, you know, suits. Uh, we're going in, they're building field hospitals. Um, And and we go in, and I remember sitting in the waiting room, looking out at the city, watching them build a field hospital, and thinking, there's no safety in life anymore for me. The closest thing to me, my family, I I can't even protect my son's health. And, And outside me, I'm watching this pandemic roll in, who knows what that will bring, and feeling like there, there is nowhere for me to dwell securely. I remember just feeling absolutely crushed. And then I got a text. I got a text from another family in the church. Their, their daughter had been diagnosed with pediatric brain cancer. And they were at the hospital at the same time. Undergoing a treatment. And they were two floors above me. And their text was, hey, we love you. Your family, we're praying for you the Lord is with you. And I remember thinking, I don't have any safety here, in here, I don't have any safety out there, but there is a place I can have safety. This family is pointing me to the one place you can have safety that's not dependent on your circumstances, which is in the Lord, in the saving character and saving acts of the Lord. So, brother, sister, where do you go for safety? Where do you go when the lab result comes back and it's malignant? Where do you go when your job is lost? Where do you go when one of your children wanders from the faith? What are the walls of your city built with? That's the first section. Where can we dwell securely? Section two, how can we dwell securely? Verse two says this gloriously, open the gates. Isn't that good news that there is a city, but its gates are not closed? It's not as though God's character is here and we're out here and the walls are shut and it's like, good luck out there. No, (laughs) open the gates. Oh, such good news. How how do we get in on that? But then it says this, that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. And I think, okay, well, that's a problem. Because we are not righteous. <laughs> we have sin and unrighteousness, and so we would naturally be kept out. But in this com- uh, context, one commentator was helpful in pointing out that here, righteous means in right standing before God. Meaning it, it can mean not not righteous because of what we do, but because of the next phrase, because of our faith. Meaning, verse three, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Meaning, we're brought into right standing before God, not because of our deeds, but because of our faith. If we believe in the Lord, our everlasting rock, is God, our Savior, The gates are open to us. For us standing on the other side of the cross, it's clear if we believe in God and in Jesus Christ the Savior he sent through trust and faith in him, we can enter this city. When we were coming back from Spain, we tried to get into this fancy airport lounge because uh, my parents had, you know, one of those credit card perk things, and so uh, we, we, you know, but they were rejected because they weren't at the right level or, or whatever, and, and we watched another person come up to the counter, and they didn't have the right level either, but, but then somebody else came and talked to the person, and then they were let in, and we were like, well, what about that person? Why are they getting in? And the person explained to us in a very condescending voice, uh... Well, they're with a platinum double, triple gold member, you know, or whatever it is. And, and we were like, oh, okay. They, they didn't get in because they had the status. They got in because they were with someone who had the status, right? Similarly, we don't get in to the gates of the Lord's city because we have the status, but we are, by God's grace, able to say, I'm, I'm with him I'm with Jesus. That is how we enter in through trust in the Lord. Romans 5 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Oh, what a glorious phrase! Now, scripturally, there are two kinds of trust leading to peace. First is trusting God for salvation, for the kind of the definitive peace with God, Romans 5.1 is speaking about, that we receive when we have faith in Christ. In that moment of faith and belief, we are made right with God. We, we are in right standing because of Christ. But there's a second type of trust. There is a trust for life, a daily living kind of trust that leads to a daily living kind of peace, and it is us entering into the peace of God that is that, that God is there for us, meaning that there's that salvation trust that leads to peace and a daily living kind of peace, and both, it seems the commentators are saying, are in view here because it says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. It's saying here that God will keep people in peace, but not just any peace. The word peace is actually repeated here. Perfect peace is a translation of essentially peace, peace. So in Hebrew, the way that they would emphasize something is by repeating it. So when Joseph's brothers throw him into a pit, the the language is he threw him into a pit pit, okay? Meaning this is a pit you can throw a dude in and he's not getting out, right? You can throw a guy in a pit and Aaron will just climb out of it. But if you throw a guy into a pit pit, he's not coming out, right? He's down there. This is not just peace. It is peace peace, a perfection of peace, perfect peace. So then how do we get in on that? Well, God keeps us in peace if our minds are stayed on him or focused on him because he trusts in him. So where can we find peace? In God, and how can we enter into that peace through trust in God? Now, this is the the challenge. Okay, so after we did this this biopsy, um, there's a lot more there I can tell you. We had we had to send this biopsy out to this special lab um, at a children's hospital, and it took I think if I remember right four weeks to receive the results. Four weeks waking up looking at my son wondering that the result was either going to be one of two things it was either hey this probably will heal just give it time or he has a degenerative kidney disease that uh, results in a 50 percent chance of his kidneys failing before age 18 right this is not like well we can give him a pill i mean this is like potential dialysis future for him and those four weeks, I remember thinking, man, I, I, would, I would be so much more at peace if I knew it was, he was going to be okay. But that's not what this verse is saying. The verse is not saying, well, the, the end result will be there, and then you'll be in perfect peace. No, that, the, the outcome, the circumstance changing is not what results in peace. Instead, it is a trust in the Lord that results in peace. And so for those three or four weeks, I'm fighting, I'm fighting, I'm fighting, but Jen and I, my wife, are fighting for this verse, to live in the good of this verse, that that you keep him in perfect peace, not who gets the right lab result, not who gets the job, not who ends up dating the person they want to date. That's not what results in perfect peace. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. The act, our access to the peace, brothers and sisters, is not dependent on the outcome of a circumstance. It is dependent on trust in the Lord. Isn't that good news? And then, well, then, in, in a turn of phrase, the, in verse five, it goes back to the question of, where do we find this? We're going to keep saying this repeated. Where do we find this peace? Well, verse five. For he has humbled the inhabitants of the height, the lofty city. He lays it low, lays it low to the ground, casts it to the dust. The foot tramples at the feet of the poor, the steps of the needy. Now, you're like, wait a minute. I thought, I thought you are talking about a strong city. No, this is a different city. This is a contrast between the city of God and the city of man, in a sense. The city of man built on evil and injustice. And it seems, here's the, here's the challenge. It seems like where to go to find peace and and to dwell securely is over here because in this life it seems strong, it seems powerful, it seems secure. You're like, man, I, I think I want to work for that giant company. That seems secure. If I could, if I could do this, that would make me secure. If I could just get enough equity in my house, that would make me secure. And 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 the the, the future people of God are counseling the past people of God. No, you're not seeing it right. From our perspective, at the end of history. That lofty city, as it were, that seems so strong, is built of popsicle sticks and scotch tape and will fall. I've been listening to this podcast about um, Theranos, the, the company that, that the blood company that was supposed to you know, be this super billion dollar company is going to change healthcare. I don't know if you have any business nerds in here that remember Theranos. And I'm listening to this podcast on its CEO. And on how for years, they just continued to build this image that this blood test thing that takes one drop of blood would do like 250 tests, and it would change everything. And, and people all along the way kept saying, but it doesn't work. And people were like, yeah, they would do crazy things. Like they would, they, would, they, would, they would show it off to investors like Walgreens, and they would have people prick their finger, and then they'd go off to lunch. And then instead of putting it in the machine, they would have a dude like, drive it as fast as he could to the lab test it and then drive it back and then so when they got back from lunch they're like oh look we did the test right and it looked like this i mean this their ceo was on the cover of of forbes and bloomberg and was speaking at events and you think this thing is a juggernaut it is unstoppable and then finally when the dam broke it, everyone realized it doesn't do anything and now the ceo is on the cover of all the business magazines is going to jail And everybody who put money into that thing is penniless. That's what this verse is talking about. It seems strong. Humanity's lofty city seems strong, but but the future people of God are counseling the present people of God. Don't look there. Look to the Lord. Look to the Lord. All right, next section then. We looked at where to find it, how to find it, where to find it again, not over in the lofty city. And then here's an interesting section that's added in Isaiah 26. Why? Why would you want to live in the city of God? Why is it a good city? It's one thing to say, well, this is the only secure city. But why is it good? Why are we rejoicing as we enter it? Well, let's look at verse 7. The first reason that we would want to live in the city of God is that God holds our story. Now, there's two parallel sections we're going to cover together. Verse 7, the path of the righteous is level. You make level the way of the righteous. And then jump down to verse 13. O Lord, our God, other lords besides you have ruled over us, but your name alone we bring to remembrance. They are dead. They will not live. They are shades. They will not arise To that end, you have visited them with destruction and wiped out all remembrance of them. But you have increased the nation, O Lord. You have increased the nation. You are glorified. You have enlarged all the borders of the land. Now this verse 7 picture of the path of the righteous is level. and, and, And God making level the way of the righteous Imagine, you know, again, you're on the, the roads of Spain, and you're looking for some place to dwell securely, and then there's armies going back and forth, and you're looking, where, where can I go? And you find a path, a strong, sturdy path that you know will lead to a strong city. The, this, this section of Isaiah is saying the path of those who trust in God, their path is level. No matter what is in front of us, whether it's sickness or hardship or danger, it is straight because the Lord has leveled it and in the end the people who seem like they're going to prosper even the people who rule over the people of god they won't last they won't they, there will be nothing more than a speed bump on the path of the righteous the person in right standing when when the path of the righteous will continue In a sense, to expand and only to become wider and more secure and more glorious. Uh, Others might have been allowed by God to rule over his people, but only God's name will be remembered. Because in the end, they will be gone and only God's name will prevail. And here's the glorious thing. God has tied his name to the good of his people. So that the victory of the Lord is the victory of God's people. Meaning that, that at the end of your life, your story and what happens to you is held securely by God. And this is so helpful for that question, but what will happen to us? If you have ever had that thought in a trial or a hardship? What will happen to us? What will happen to my son? What will happen to our family? What will happen to, to our church? What will happen? I know what will happen. Isaiah knows what will happen. The Lord will prevail and his people will prevail with him. The path of the righteous is level and leads to a strong city. That's one reason. Why else would we want to live in God's city? Well, because in God's city, we get what we want most. In verse eight, in the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. Why is this strong city so attractive? Because at, in that strong city, what we see is that we find what we want most. In our heart of hearts, we are made to yearn for the Lord in the presence of God. And in that strong city, that's what we find. We find the Lord. Every circumstance, every hardship, every difficulty will result only in the the path of those difficulties, the path of that leads to a place where we have more of the Lord. Commentator Mateer says this, God's people do not long here for altered circumstances, but for a fuller experience of Him. I don't know what is going to happen in your life. I don't know. But I do know this. The Lord through it will give you more of himself, and at the end of your life, you will find that thing you long for most. You won't think, oh, that got away in life. Oh, that opportunity got away. No. <laughs> if you're on the path of the righteous, of trust in the Lord, you will find the Lord at the end of it. We, we were going through premarital counseling uh, a couple of years ago with a couple, just a great couple. And, and we're talking about, and, and the marriage count, counseling book we were using just, talk, just talks a ton about eternity. And at first they were like, I thought we were talking about marriage. And all of a sudden we're talking about life and eternity and where God is taking us. But at the end they said something like this. Man, when you want, when you both as a couple want more of Jesus and what you want is to see Jesus glorified, then even hard things become good if it results in more of Jesus. And this is a couple that since they've been married, they've struggled with infertility. And I met up with him recently and he would say, yeah, it's been hard but the Lord has given us more of himself and we know him better. Why would you want to live in the city of God? Because the presence of God is there. And then last, why would you want to live in the city of God? Because he does what no one else can. He brings up from the dust. All right, verse 10. Right, actually, uh, sorry, verse 9b. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. If favor is shown to the wicked, he does not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he deals corruptly and does not see the majesty of the Lord. O Lord, your hand is lifted up, but they do not see it. Let them see your zeal for your people and be ashamed. Let the fire for your adversaries consume them. O Lord, you will ordain peace for us, for you have indeed done for us all our works. Now this describes the wicked as being blind and unlearning and oblivious to the Lord. And despite God's kindness, they don't turn to him or, or trust him. But if you're paying attention to Isaiah as a whole book, you realize this this problem with the evil people, that's actually a problem not just for the evil people, but for all of humanity, meaning we are in, in some ways, big or small, all a little bit like this. And that's when verse 12 gives us another reason we can dwell securely. God does for us anything we do. Now, first, that sounds nonsensical. God does for us what we do. No, but I thought we did it. If we did it, then why, you can't, how does that even work? But it's deep theological um, mystery and truth. Isaiah has shown over and over that we, left to ourselves, will choose unrighteousness, not righteousness on our own. So what will interrupt that cycle of us continuing to choose unrighteousness? God steps in. God ordains peace. He does for us what we cannot do. So when God's people see their very limited good actions, their faith in God, their trust, their tentative um, kind of halting steps on the path of righteousness, when they desire to glorify God, all of them they do because God does it for them. It becomes even more uh, pronounced in the next section, verse 16. O Lord, in distress, they sought you. They poured out a whispered prayer when your discipline was upon them. Like a pregnant woman who writhes and cries out in her pangs when she is near to giving birth, so were we because of you, O Lord. We were pregnant. We writhed. We have given birth to wind. We have accomplished no deliverance in the earth. And the inhabitants of the world have not fallen. Now, in Isaiah, this is deeply tragic. The, The history here is that God's people sought him after he bought, brought discipline. And, and childbirth is one of the greatest pains that anyone could experience, but the end result is that there is a child. And here the nation is in pain, but there is no, no good thing at the other end of it. God's people were meant to point the world to the Lord, to show the world the way of deliverance, but they failed, and yet, and yet, and yet, there is hope. Verse 19 Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. Now this is extraordinary. Isaiah 25 and 26 together are perhaps the clearest Old Testament reference to death being put away. And you see the contrast here, that God's people, they keep choosing death, they keep choosing death, and God even is helping them, and they continue to go over there, and their actions result in death, and God knows it, and so God says, listen, I'm going to do for you something that you cannot do for yourself. I will put death away and bring you to life. Now, is this spiritual resurrection? Is this bodily resurrection? Yes. Yes both spiritually and physically, God will bring his people to life. Here is why you would want to live in God's city. This is the character of God, the kind of person you want to live near. God's people end up down in the dust through their own fault, but the Lord brings them to life. The Lord makes hearts beat again, lungs breathe again, hearts trust again, souls praise again. This is the Lord. And this is why you should say, listen, out of the cities I could live in, I want to live with that guy. I want to live in the resurrection city. All of this, dust. All of this, dust. That city, the strong city, is the city of a saving God who helps his people and brings life from death. That's the city I want to live in. After those number of weeks, uh, my son Ford, who was the one with the kidney problem, received happy news that his kidneys were going to be okay. But we continued to walk through the trial with the family I referenced earlier. Their, their daughter Lydia, as I mentioned, had contracted uh, pediatric brain cancer. And the doctors were very honest with her that... that It seemed that she would only live a short time. And so in November of 2020, Lydia went home to be with the Lord. And the, um, it happened to coincide with El Paso being one of the worst places in the nation in terms of COVID cases. Uh, Our hospitals were full. Uh, The field hospitals were full. So the only way to have a memorial service at that time for us was to hold it in our parking lot. And so you think, man, this is a moment of of incredible loss and grief and hopelessness but somebody came and put like a giant balloon display <laughs> behind the building. We we our band was set up on the steps of the church out into the parking lot. We set up chairs in the parking lot. We got lights brought in. There was this beautiful sort of balloon sculpture for her. Lydia loved unicorns, so it looked unicornish. <laughs> this is the first funeral I'd ever been to with so many kids. And we'd gotten close to them and their family because uh, Lydia, you know, age seven, found out the reason she had sent a message to my son in the hospital, and you know, and, and her mom had reached out. So her mom had reached out to me with an encouragement, and then they Lydia sent uh, my son Ford a message and encouraged him. You know, you could do this, and found out later it was because she liked him a little bit, you know, <laughs> and was kind of hoping for a message back and. Uh, so we became friends with this family, and I remember just feeling so inadequate. What do you say? What do you say to your church in the middle of loss and a family in the middle of loss? So we began, we began singing. We began praying. We began a service, and at that service, something extraordinary happened. because the tears of loss and grief became happy tears as we remembered the shining life of this little girl and rejoiced in the hope that the dead shall live and their bodies shall rise. That those who dwell in the dust awake and sing for joy for their due is a due of life and the earth will give birth to the dead. Man, I I wish I could recreate that service. It may have been the best church service I have ever been to because as we opened the Word and as the Lord met us, that gathered group in the parking lot began to sing for joy that in Christ we have a strong city. And it is one in which Lydia lives. And one of the most beautiful things is her whole team of doctors from the children's hospital in town came. Many of them were not believers. And one of them said just simply, I've never seen anything like this. Of course they haven't. Because only Christians can enter through trust into the strong city. While they await the full salvation of God. Brothers and sisters, what are you struggling with today? I want to point you back to the beginning. Back to where we started. Isaiah 26 takes us back to where we started and asks the question again. Where can we dwell securely? Look down at verse 20. Come, my people. Enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while until the fury has passed by. This is a reference in in Isaiah 26 to the day of the Lord. The, The Lord's judgment is going to sweep the earth, but the Lord's people will shut the doors and dwell securely. Verse twenty-one. For behold, the Lord is coming out from His place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity, and the earth will disclose the blood shed on it, and will no more cover its stain. Right? There's echoes of power. The Lord, as a warrior, is coming out, and the blood shed on the earth will cry up from the ground, and all the sins of the earth will be will be exposed, and, and that is the trajectory of all humanity apart from God. That continuing to choose sin, continuing to choose death, continuing to choose unrighteousness will result eventually in the Lord coming out and every stain will be revealed, as it were. It's like one of those those places where, you know, you think this place is clean and then they shine the black light and there's like bugs and gross stuff everywhere. And you're like, ah, that's what the Lord is doing here. He's coming out. All the stains are exposed. But, verse 20 says, there is another option Come, enter the city of the Lord. Thank God, brothers and sisters, that there is a place that by faith we can enter in that is secure. Mateer again says, security is not attained by associative strength or sturdy self-reliance. It is a, listen to this, it is a divine provision received with joy. Now, look, if you are here and you're not a Christian, let me encourage you, man, I don't think it's an accident that you're here. You may have even sat in church services before, you know, whether you're 16 or 66. You may have sat through services before and been like, yeah, yeah, I get the Bible thing. Okay. Now, some of this may be confusing. You're like, I don't understand half of this stuff. But I bet you anything, you're probably connected with the desire for peace we talked about. Because every, every human being fundamentally knows that this world is not secure, knows that you can't find peace, and you're looking for peace in other places. And one of the common religious responses is that, well, do you do enough church stuff, you kind of punch your church attendance card enough times, and then the Lord takes it and looks at it and goes, okay, it's about 100. I'll give you the, you know, the eternal peace now. That's not how it works. <laughs> That's not what Isaiah 26 is laying out at all. You don't earn the peace. You don't show up at the gates of the Lord with, with your list of good deeds and say, well, I think you'll see here, it's, a, it's actually, it is an A minus, but it is still an A. And I, I'm, it, no, you can't enter in. You can't, the Lord will shine his black light over your life, over all your text messages and web search history and, and mean things that you've said in private that you hope nobody ever discover. The Lord will wave his black light and go, oh, Your A-minus is suddenly an (laughs) F-minus. But there is, oh friend, there is another choice. There is another option available to you. Hear the words of, of verse 20. Come, enter the city. The the gates are open to all who will trust in him. And in fact, what it takes is actually you taking your report card that you're so proud of and going, nope, I'm going to toss that aside. My only hope is to say, I'm with him. I'm with him. But here's the good news. The gates are open today. Today you can do this. Today the Lord can spiritually bring you from death to life and... Your trajectory will change as well from eternal death to eternal life. Colossians 119 says this about Jesus, that when he died, he was making peace by the blood of his cross. Oh, what good news that the Lord makes peace with God. The Lord makes a way for us to enter into that peace by dying in our place for our sins, making peace with God, making it possible for us to come to God and find this city of strength. So let me just encourage you, friend. Come down. Come to the city through trust in Jesus today. Now, as Christians, I want to give you three encouragements as we close. First, I want to encourage you, look for peace in the right place. We're all tempted, even as Christians. Here's often what we do. We trust God for our eternal life, but we often don't trust him with our daily life. <laughs> Sometimes it's easier to be like, yeah, yeah, someday I'll, I'll be in that city but right now, oh man, I got this and this and this. And, and we subjectively will go to all kinds of things. We look to an outcome to give us peace, to a job or to a wedding. We, we look to a person, to a boyfriend, to a, a parent, to a child to give us peace. But friends, there is only one city of strength whose walls will never fail. Look to the city of the Lord. Look to the walls of His salvation Maybe today, even as we close in singing in a second, maybe today is, is a moment you need to just be honest with the Lord and say, Lord, I practically when I get anxious, I just turn on a movie or Netflix. Practically when things are hard, I just try to ignore it. I, I'm not running to you. The Lord is inviting you to run to him. Second thing I'd encourage you to do is enter into that peace through trust. It is one thing to see the city. It is another thing to enter the city. You come into that city through trust and faith. And sometimes I think we got to be honest that we don't feel trust and faith. Sometimes we got to be, I mean, there's so many times with this trial with my son Ford that I was just like, Lord, I don't trust you, but I want to. And I trust that the God who brings life from death can open my heart and help me. And he did. He did. Man, that's what prayer is. We go to the Lord and we say, Lord. And sometimes we say, I believe. Help my unbelief. We enter into that peace through trust. And let me just encourage you. You can grow your trust in the Lord. One of the things Isaiah 26 is doing is, is giving us scripturally reasons to trust the Lord. And saying, listen, this city's not good. This is the city you want. Why do you want to live here? Look at all these good reasons. This is the city you want. And that's what the Bible does, right? The Bible itself is, is full of the character of God, the saving acts of God, the saving character of God. And as we get to know those, the, the, those things about God... Man, it's, it, it becomes even more attractive to enter the city. We want to enter the city. It grows our trust in Him. And Here's what I've, I've, I have found with this trial with my son. I wish that trust in the Lord was like a light switch. You just click it to, to, you know, on. And it's just, now the lights are on. Instead, it's more like a muscle for me. And I think that's what Scripture would say. It, it is a continual... Like flexing of our trust in the Lord. And so, if you're in a trial and you're like, man, my trust in the Lord is so weak, and I keep turning the light switch on, it may be that you're at the gym and you're like with the five pound weights, like, because you haven't grown it. You got, so, what, the, how do you grow it? You got to get in the Word you got to get in the Word. you got to be faithful to Sunday where the Word is proclaimed. you got to be faithful in your small groups where the Word is open with others. you got to be faithful to sit across the coffee table from a spouse or a close friend and, and get to know the saving acts of the Lord. Get to know the character of the Lord. And I bet you anything, as you do so, as you get to know Him, pray to trust Him, seek to trust Him, that muscle will get stronger. So trust in the Lord. Now, let me end with this. So one of the things that, the, uh, the, uh, I told you about Toledo, the, the big city in Spain. Well, we finally made it to Alcantara, you know. I don't know what we expected. It was a very small village. But it was cool because it was built across kind of a deep sort of channel with a river underneath it. And and you'd be on one side. And then the city you could see is on a hill with uh, literally like... Um, it's not this way for the purposes of my illustration. It was built out, you know, hundreds of years ago. But it's very good. Because you look on one side of the bank and you see this city and a church is there with a cross in the air. And, and, and you know, imagine yourself on the plains where there's armies invading and people are fighting back and forth. And you'd be looking for, man, how can I, how can I enter? You know, wh- where can I go that's safe? And you see this city and you come to this, you know, deep channel And you're like, I see it, but I can't get to it. And then there is this glorious, like, Roman-era bridge. I mean, like, the Apostle Paul, if he made it to Spain, might have walked across this bridge. It's that old. This glorious bridge. And, and, And so you go, in a sense, from danger on this side to safety on the other through this bridge. And for us, we know what the bridge is. The bridge is Jesus Christ. The bridge is trusting in Jesus. That cross is, a sense, the, the, the bridge from danger to safety by the grace of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I pray right now for, for folks. But just, just have a sense that there some specific things that you're working in people's lives. I pray for specifically those who are going through a trial that is significant. Maybe it's a health diagnosis, a mental health thing. Lord, I I pray that in this moment, as we stand and sing in a second, that my brothers and sisters would see the strong city with spiritual sight that if they felt like they're looking around for a place of safety and, and there's things crashing all around them and they're looking for where can I go, where can I go, that they would spiritually see in the distance the strong city of the Lord. And then as we sing, God, we would, we would enter into that strong city through trust in you. And Lord, I pray if you're working on anyone's heart, if they, if they are... Not a Christian. Oh, Lord, would you you just give them the spiritual sight to see that all the cities of this life will crumble and fall? There's only one strong city. But oh, what a city it is. A city that gives us hope in every trial. A city where the dead become alive again. A city where we get what we most want, which is the Lord himself. Lord, I pray that you work on their heart, open their eyes, draw them to you today. And Lord, I just thank you for Redemption Hill. Lord, I just pray over this church. Oh Lord, may every gathering of Redemption Hill be a glimpse of that city. Oh Lord, may as this church, as they trust you, as they hold out the hope of Christ, may they be, in a sense, an outpost of that strong city in this in this area of, of North Austin. That those who long for peace, those who are weary, those who are hurting, would through this gathering, through this body, see the hope of the strong city reflected in them and enter in. Lord, I pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.